0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Science used to be a systematic approach of continual questioning, experimentation, and discovery. It is now an infallible corporate-backed dogma that only selectively ordained quote-unquote experts are allowed to know or speak of. It is no longer science but a dangerous religious cult. When eugenicists billionaires who think there are too many people on Earth and are obsessed with population control offer a free product, you may want to be skeptical. I should have to explain this to you. In 1995, French doctor Pierre Gilbet said this, quote, "...in the biological destruction there are the organized tempest on the magnetic fields. What will follow is a contamination of the bloodstreams of mankind." Creating intentional infections. This will be enforced via laws that will make vaccination mandatory. And these vaccines will make possible to control people. The vaccines will have liquid crystals that will become hosted in the brain cells, which will become micro receivers of electromagnetic fields where waves of very low frequencies will be sent. And through these low frequency waves, people will be unable to think, will be turned into a zombie. Don't think of this as a hypothesis. This has been done. Think of Rwanda. End quote.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Tonight's special guest is
1: Dr. Andrew Kaufman, MD, a natural healing consultant, inventor, public speaker, forensic psychiatrist, and expert witness. He completed his psychiatric training at Duke University Medical Center after graduating from the Medical University of South Carolina and has a bachelor degree from the MIT in Molecular Biology. He has conducted and published original research and lectured, supervised and mentored medical students, residents and fellows in all psychiatric specialties. He has been qualified as an expert witness in local, state and federal courts. He has held leadership positions in academic medicine and professional organizations. He ran a startup company to develop a medical device. He invented and patented. And it is a great pleasure for me to introduce once again our friend, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Hello, Andy, and welcome back. How are you? Well, thank
2: you, Mel. Uh, thank you so much for uh, having me back. Uh, it's a very special for me to be here, and uh, we have uh, certainly a lot of things to talk about today.
1: Definitely. And as I told you before we began, it's so great to see you energized and still moving forward. You're in the tip of the, spe- the, the, the spear when it comes to what's happening right now. We spoke over a year ago, and we thought, I thought things were going to change, but they're getting worse right now. Why don't you just give us an update on what's on your radar?
2: Yeah, well, there are uh, quite a number of things, of course, and we're in an era right now where the governments of the world uh, are conspiring with private companies, universities, schools, etc., with the goal of vaccinating every single uh, human on the planet. And we're seeing that they are casting aside uh, very sacred rules about experimenting on people um, that were developed, you know, as a result of the Holocaust and the Nazi regime, who performed many, many experiments on various people across the population in Germany. And this started at the very beginning there. And we're seeing the same thing happen happening now in all really across the world. And it is, uh, you know, quite a scary thing to behold. And we can see, you know, once again, there's so much contradiction in how the public is being spoon fed the, the information about this. So I think, you know, mandating vaccines, and of course, what is actually in the vaccine and what are the risks of the vaccine are the the main issues that we're facing today. And of course, that leads us directly into the real beginning of the surveillance state, which is the vaccine passports.
1: Where is the Nuremberg Code in all of this? When all of this is said and done, if it ever ends, are we going to see Nuremberg-style trials?
2: Well, you know, if uh, if this does end, I think that is definitely forthcoming because, you know, we have really blatant violations, not only of that, but of many other uh, principles of human rights. And we will need to codify this into, you know, something new in the future uh, if there's still going to be some kind of centralized, organized society, uh, ultimately.
1: I read it an excerpt from a presentation made by a doctor in, in France in 1995. What are your thoughts on that? You, you sent that to me minutes before we began, and it's a huge minute of truth.
2: Well, Mel, you know, if you really think about this current situation and everything it entails, because obviously it's much more than a public health crisis – then you can go back historically and see lots of organizations, documents um, and proponents of all the various aspects of the agendas coming together now have been planned uh, for quite a long time. And so when we see a video like this from, you know, quite a long time ago, right? Uh, almost 20 years ago, and it's essentially predicting everything we're seeing now. Uh, it tells us that this is really been a plan for quite a long time and we can really go back further because there are many, many steps that needed to be carried out to get to this point. And in fact, if you look at the technocracy writings from the turn of the 20th century when that field was really developing, and their definition of technocracy is uh, essentially a society of social engineering they conceded that they did not quite have the adequate technology to provide the amount of surveillance and data collection at that time. But now we have matured in that respect. In fact, really the only significant invention of the past 100 years has been related to information technology. And this is specifically the technology that will allow them to carry out this plan. So we saw... This mechanism of using a fake infection and a mandatory vaccine as a way to get people to cooperate with signing on to the surveillance state.
1: Exactly one year ago, I said this on Facebook. I said, I hope by now you realize that we're witnessing what we're witnessing has nothing to do with saving lives, but everything to do with the total takeover and control of our lives. And maybe people thought that was a conspiracy theory back then. I wonder how many people think that this is fact now.
2: Well, you know, certainly um, the viewership or the people that would listen to a show like this has grown tremendously over the past year. And you know, the facts really bear things out because we've seen this go on now for over a year and a half. And none of us can really point out to the dropping bodies, right? We have many nations around the world where their even official death counts were lower than they've been just a few years ago historically. So, Despite all of the obvious nature, if you just get up and look around, in fact, you know that if you didn't turn on the television and you were in an area where people didn't wear masks, you would have no idea right, that anything was different uh, from the way it was before. So it is still, of course, quite surprising that um, the majority of people have not come around to this idea. But I, I know that many of them really are walking around just going through the motions and not really convinced. But the people who continue to watch TV and pay attention to the central, uh, centrally controlled news media, uh, they are continuing to be hypnotized and um, in this uh, COVID cult, so to speak. How many
1: people do you think are still in this spell right now? How many people, more people have to share their stories and I get them on a daily basis? And it's people who think I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing it for the common good, uh, to save my family and so on. And then we get the horror stories if they are lucky to still be alive. Why is it that it's taking so many people to see all these examples and still there's a large percentage of the population that still wants to be jabbed.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I was out uh, yesterday running some errands. And, you know, over the past year and a half, I, I must say that I've been somewhat of a hermit and uh, generally trying to avoid going out. But there have been some things that I really needed to take care of. And when I was going to a couple of shops and just, you know, overhearing people's casual conversation, I realized that this pandemic has essentially become a trend or just a habit that people are used to. And they like make small talk about it just like they would make small talk about the election or the weather or anything else. So these people have essentially made a decision to turn off their ability to engage in criminal thinking. And, you know, one of your uh, repeat guests, Neil Kramer recently put out a, Uh, Romecast, which is one of his uh, creations, and he talked about this as really the definition of stupid, where by someone is consciously ignoring information that will lead to greater understanding. And, you know, that's what most people have simply decided to do in this situation.
1: I see it almost like a mental civil war taking place, where humanity is splitting into two groups. Group One, those who accept the propaganda and want to be controlled and group two, those who see through the propaganda and want to be free. Do you see this division also?
2: Well, absolutely. And in fact, I even see this separation uh, bearing out uh, in the future into essentially two parallel societies, uh, one governed by the principles of freedom and sovereignty and individuality, and the other one, a collectivist technocratic surveillance state where people are essentially uh, automatons uh, serving
1: the state. But see, here's the problem I see because we have them, and I don't mean to get political here, but because we have the people who cheat on one side, and part of those cheaters reside on the right side as well. So how can we law-abiding, freedom-loving, life-loving people, how can we win if they are in positions of power, if they are writing laws, and we're probably 10 out of every law has a regulation that comes with it coming from a, uh, an unelected official.
2: Well, you know, of course, this is a very difficult um, situation to be in. But if we really take a step outside our prior life experience and look at what things really are, we see that the government it can only govern by consent of the people. So if we simply decide to ignore the authority and recognize that they actually don't have authority over us, in fact, the government is supposed to serve us. They are our our employees. And this is written you know, into the Constitution, and this is the whole purpose of having government, is to serve the interests of the people. And if you simply realize that, then you can... Essentially, divest yourself from them having any authority over you. Now, of course, it requires some knowledge and study to um, deal with situations where you may be in conflict uh, with those, uh, you know, people who are enforcing policy. So, this is a whole other area, of course, of law study to help you realize these things. But ultimately, you know, each of us as individual men and women we have the full authority over ourselves and ultimately over the government and we don't have to be subjected to their authority now we may have to defend ourselves in order to uh, assert these rights but they are present and uh, there's nothing anyone can do to change that unless we decide to give them away
1: let's say someone has a chance of 99.7 percent of not getting cancer but they are forced to get chemotherapy anyway. Mandated, forced. How logical is this? And you would think people would get it. They don't.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, of course, it's um, the messaging that's coming from all of the official sources is essentially ridiculing any opposing opinion. So people... In order to avoid, you know, being shamed or ridiculed, they simply just go along with whatever they're being told. And there's a huge aspect of convenience slash inconvenience or hardship that comes with this decision. Because I know there are many, many people out there and some of them I... This may be surprising. I guarantee are listening to this show because I know that people who have listened to some of my webinars have been asking about this, that they are considering actually subjecting themselves to the vaccine in order to be able to travel or conduct business in the way that they're accustomed. So this is a you know a really fascinating time that even among um, informed uh, men and women, that they may decide to risk even death in order to be able to you know, travel internationally or keep their life as convenient um, as they're used
1: to. But then again, today, I posted again on Facebook a comic. To some people, it may sound laughable, but it's basically a, a woman who's in a uh, uh, the hospital basically saying, but wait a second, I have been, let's see, I'm just going to read it here. It says, but but I socially distance. I get vaccinated. I did everything I was supposed to. Don't make me wear it again. And the doctors are saying, we are not doing this to you. You are doing this to yourself. What do you think about that? Do you think people being complacent are the ones pushing this agenda forward?
2: Well, you know, that sounds like a uh, major guilt trip there. <laughs> On that person. But yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think one of the most significant things that people do that's keeping this moving forward is submitting to testing. You know, many people, even the ones who refuse the vaccine, they still agree with their employers subjecting them to get getting regular testing. Well, that's the data that they use to justify all policies. It's always about the test results. They have defined a case to mean that they have a positive result in one of these tests that is not approved by the FDA, is not stated anywhere that it is accurate. Um, in diagnosing any disease um, and is completely experimental and has never been validated. But that's what they are using to drive everything forward. So anyone who is agreeing to getting tested, you may feel that it's not uh, causing you harm, although actually it may, um, I mean, to your health, but it is driving things forward. So that's what people need to realize that if they continue to participate in any aspect, right? When I go out among everyone and, you know, right now things are opened up where I live in New York, but all winter and the last year and, you know, since the beginning, everywhere I went, of course, you saw my naked face. Now that sends a message to everyone, you know, who sees me that, look, that guy is not afraid. (laughs) Right now, some people might have a slightly different impression. They might say that guy's crazy or he's risking other people. And a few people have, you know, yelled at me or given me the finger and that kind of thing. But I'm still, I'm sending the message that I'm not afraid uh, no matter what you are. And that is the kind of thing that gives people confidence to do the same thing themselves and maybe, or maybe just, you know, causes them to ask a question. Jeez, why isn't that guy afraid? you know, who is he? Um, You know, maybe there are other people like that, you know, maybe I should look into things. And so it's really, really important, any decisions you make in your individual uh, day-to-day life with respect to this, that you should really carefully consider them. And there may, you know, there may be a good reason to participate with some aspects of this uh, in some situations, but you really need to make a careful consideration and especially to look at the big picture.
1: If an employer mandates a non-approved vaccine, because a lot of people just have this confusion, it's authorized, emergency authorization, not approved. So if an employer mandates it as a condition of employment, shouldn't this be part of workers' compensation in case of injury or worse?
2: Well, that's interesting. And, um, you know, the, the truth is that there may be actually no one who accepts liability for what happens to you as a result of this. But I'm glad that you brought up this issue uh, because um, recently there is a uh, position paper that came out written by the um, – I believe it's the uh, Special Counsel to the President – Sorry, I'll have it, I have it right here in front of me now. So it's the Deputy Counsel to the President, and it's a memorandum opinion. So this was written by one of the Department of Justice attorneys to give an opinion uh, to the President about the legality of an employer or non-government agency mandating uh, the vaccines even though they are under emergency use authorization. And the media has picked up Uh, this story essentially stating that this means that it's legal to mandate uh, these experimental vaccines, but that's not the case at all. But this is just the way that they like to um, color the issue so that the people viewing this from the news channels um, or reading it on CNN.com will think that it's actually legal for employers to force this. So they won't take any action. They'll just go along. And I'm telling you that this is completely false. So, this opinion, first of all, it's just an opinion by one, it's authored by one single lawyer. And this opinion has not been tested in any court. Okay, so this is not a judge's opinion, and this is not the law. And further, it only actually looks at the applicability of one single law, which is the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. And that's uh, Title 21 of the United States Code. And there's Section 564 in there, which specifically talks about the emergency use authorization. However, this doesn't cover other laws that may govern um, employers forcing medical procedures, especially experimental ones on their employees as a condition of employment. So what it talks about in this um, opinion though, is the specific language from that section of the law, uh, which states, sorry, I want to read the exact quote Sure. that, that, um, there is the quote, the option to accept or refuse administration of the product. Now that comes right from the that Title Twenty One of the U.S. Code that I'm talking about. And what that so what they are saying in this opinion is that the choice to agree or not only applies to the manufacturer of the product. So if Pfizer has to give you the choice of taking it or not, but since the employer is not a party to the emergency use authorization relationship between the manufacturer and the FDA, it basically doesn't apply to them. But they don't look at any other laws that might apply <laughs> to them. So it's it's quite uh, really laughable. Um, but this is what you know, the headlines are showing that it's, it's legal to force these uh, vaccinations. So I want to take this a little bit further because in 2003, there is a lawsuit um, in the uh, District of Columbia uh, uh, District Court, uh, which is called John Doe et al. v. Donald Rumsfeld et al., the defendants. And what this was a group of service members in the national guard who were ordered to take an experimental anthrax vaccine and they wanted to refuse. So they sued the department of defense and asked for an emergency injunction. That's relief from the court that they would not be required to take the experimental vaccine. And the courts granted this. Now this is, has to be interpreted carefully because we're talking about National Guard servicemen. So that means that they've signed a contract with the United States Armed Services, essentially giving up their rights as a U.S. citizen. So these um, service members have far fewer rights than the average person uh, walking down the street. And furthermore, the opinion held that this Um, could be overridden by special order of the president or special waiver of the president. So in other words, if the president decided to waive this, they could require the service members to take the experimental vaccine. However, this has to be done for reasons of national security, and it would not apply to general citizens at all. So this is um, really if we're saying that the government Prevented mandatory vaccines for members of the National Guard, they're certainly going to prevent it for general employees. Now, of course, I think we should go on a little bit further here to understand exactly what the emergency use authorization is um, so that we can really fully appreciate this issue. And So the emergency use authorization is a special um, status from the FDA that allows you to sell commercially a medical product. It could be a treatment, it could be a device, a diagnostic, pretty much anything, without getting FDA approval. And now approval means that you had to prove that if it's a therapeutic device like an experimental vaccine, that you have to prove that it's safe and effective. And we know that it generally takes a minimum of 10 years to get a vaccine approved uh, according to those standards. So the EUA allows the company to sell an unproven or experimental treatment, and this has to have certain conditions. So one of the conditions is that there's an emergency, (laughs) OK, so that, according to the law, is defined by Health and Human Services, and they have continued to renew the emergency state of the federal government every 90 days. The second condition is that it has to treat or prevent a serious or life-threatening disease. Now, I'm not going to challenge that situation, but in reality, there, there is no new disease at all. So that criteria would not be met. And then third, there has to be no adequate approved or, uh, and available alternatives. So essentially the state of emergency and the lack of alternatives. So if we look to a recent New York times article, for example, but we, I, I knew about this from other sources previously, you can see that, um, almost every state in the nation has canceled or expired its emergency status. Every state except Hawaii, I believe, according to this New York Times article. So we have 49 states who are not in a state of emergency. Yet the federal government continues to say it's an emergency. And uh, someone really needs to challenge this if it's possible to be challenged. But if there's no emergency, then the authorization disappears instantly for not just the vaccines but actually for every test and every other product that was given EUA because there are no approved products and there are about 600 products I believe no sorry 400 products I believe that have been given EUA um, authorization and are being sold. Now the second condition is that there are no alternative treatments. Now um, there actually have been for, you know, acute flu-like illnesses, there have been effective natural treatments, you know, that have been known uh, for many, many years. And, But I'm not going to even bring that into the equation because I just want to keep this framed in a mainstream uh, medicine paradigm. There is a review article from the American Journal of Therapeutics published this year, that is an actually a meta-analysis of ivermectin for COVID-19. Now, I'll tell you, this is the fact that this even exists is quite amazing because a meta-analysis means that you have to combine the data from many different studies into one data set. And then of course it becomes a very more, much more powerful statement about the scientific question that you're looking at. But that means it takes time for studies to be done, and COVID-19 has only existed for you know about uh, eight, 19 or 20 months. So in that time, 18 randomized controlled trials of ivermectin have been conducted amazingly. And unlike the one study done on each vaccine, these looked at very important endpoints like death, So they actually looked at how many people died um, if they received ivermectin or not. Um, And they looked at how long it took them to recover and some other things. And what they found is that combining these 18 different trials, that there was a large, statistically significant reduction in mortality and in time to recovery. So this is a very good alternative treatment. And not only that, but they also looked at it for prevention or prophylaxis, which is what they say the vaccines are supposed to do, and they found that it significantly reduced the risk of contracting COVID-19 at all. So clearly, there is a proven... Um, effective alternative. And ivermectin is already FDA approved, not for COVID-19, it's approved for like some kind of uh, worm infections, but it has a long track record of safety, and with 18 randomized controlled trials, it should meet the criteria for actually full approval uh, for COVID-19, whereas the vaccines, uh, that's not possible with the amount of data currently available. So, we see that actually the EUA um, authorization fails on its face uh, where, it, where it's at, um, and it, it really should be terminated immediately.
1: I always question why, even though there were plenty of doctors talking about the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in, in treating COVID, then a red. That the only way the mRNA gene therapy, I'm not going to call it a vaccine because I'll tell you later, it could not have been approved if there were other alternative therapies available, i.e. hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Is this why they continue to say, no, let's not allow it anywhere?
2: Well, this is uh, one of the main reasons, absolutely. They can't have any competition. You know, ivermectin has been around for quite a long time, as hydroxychloroquine has, and both of those drugs are off patent. So any generic company can manufacture and distribute those drugs and there's not a big profit margin to be made. But there's another reason, I believe, and... It's no coincidence that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are both drugs that are for parasite infestations. Now, parasites is the big secret of, or one of the big secrets of medicine in the Western world because all doctors are essentially taught that parasite infections don't exist in the developed world that this is something only in you know Africa and Central America and poor developing countries have issues with parasites. And so there's not even really any tests that you can get and there's no illnesses that you learn about that are attributable to this. However, since I've learned about pra- uh, natural healing and have... Um, you know, worked with clients who I've taught about things and they've shared their experience with this with me, time and time again, people talk about worms coming out of their body. And this is not a surprise because worms are there just like bacteria and yeast to help clean up the body and, but they can become a problem when they can't, clean you up and they stick around. And this is what happens essentially when you have a more severe pneumonia or a seasonal acute illness is that you have a buildup of toxicity and that toxicity has not been able to get out of your body previously such that parasites have started to infest the area and now they are contributing to the illness although they're still trying to help detox you. And when you use a... Drug that will, um, you know, essentially kill those parasites, you're going to have very quick relief of the symptoms because all the inflammatory response that's causing the symptoms of your disease, like the swelling and congestion and coughing, um, and, uh, even the fever is mostly related to the metabolic waste products of the parasites. And so once they are killed off, then, um, those things will stop and your symptoms will be relieved. Now, of course, this doesn't solve the problem in the long term because it doesn't actually allow the detoxification to continue. But the big thing is that the establishment doesn't want you to know that parasites are involved in these illnesses because parasites are quite easy to deal with. Um, You just do some cleansing and use some kind of solvent that helps get up the stuff that keeps them around and there are many different options and these things are all successful. Like for example, turpentine, DMSO, um, black seed oil, asafoetida uh, chlorine dioxide, all of these things would be effective in those situation. And they all really are very strong detoxifying agents.
1: I'm so glad you're mentioning the names because I'm, I'm going to admit it. When we discussed this last year, this is May, and uh, obviously we're telling that virus do do not exist. They're exosomes. You still stand with that, right? But July of last year, I developed this, let's call it whatever you want, and I attacked it with chlorine dioxide, and it subsided rather quickly. And I didn't trust any test because the PCR test, even the as you know, said this is not this is not affected to diagnose anything, and they were doing it in a way with more cycles than this should, and now the truth is coming out that the reason why it's been eliminated from their their menu of things to diagnose is because it cannot differentiate COVID-19 from the flu, and people say, wow, look, we conquered the flu. There were no flu cases last year. What if all the cases of flu were labeled COVID-19? What do you say about this?
2: Well, of course, you know that we really just have the name game is the only thing that is going on with the trickery that they reassigned the cause of death for, you know, virtually all people around the world. And of course, you know, the flu doesn't disappear. And, you know, I think someone really described this uh, well, that there is a has been a campaign you know to get the world to take flu vaccines and it's largely been unsuccessful because people realize one the flu's not that serious and two those vaccines don't work and you know many people even know about someone who has been paralyzed by one of those vaccines because they're one of the, they're actually according to the VARES database before these new gene therapy uh, concoctions the flu shots, Uh, had the most adverse events. So since this has been unsuccessful, if you simply relabel the same illness, but make it sound a lot scarier, uh, you know, that's uh, one way of describing the current situation.
1: If the flu has been around for over 70 years, isn't that proof the flu vaccine is ineffective?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I would look for the... Opposite evidence, like what's the proof that it is effective, and uh, you won't be able to find any. But there, there actually is one study that looks at it long term, and what they found is that if you get the flu shot, I think for three consecutive years, that um, your risk of the flu is increased f- forever after that, compared <laughs> to people that never got the flu shot. Now, let's so, you know, sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to say, Mel, because if you start looking at the evidence for any vaccine, and I mean any single one, what you'll find is that there is no evidence that shows that it has eradicated a disease or even prevented a disease in one person.
1: Well, let's take this so-called SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, better known as COVID-19. If it has not been isolated how is it that they're determining all these – it looks almost – sound almost like a fraternity names. Obviously, the, the Greek lettering, Delta and Gamma and this and that. How are they determining these variants if they haven't been able to isolate the SARS-CoV-2 virus?
2: Well, you know, essentially um, what we have here is a tautological reasoning. So if you go back to the beginning um, – the way that they identified the people in China, right? So they, you know, so this group of 20 or something people got sick in Wuhan, right? And there's nothing unique about their symptoms. They have, you know, pneumonia. There's lots of pneumonia in China. In fact, it's one of the leading causes of death in China because of all the pollution. And they, tested these people with a PCR test that was created by Kristen Drosten in Germany. And that test was created without having any new sequence at all. It was created based on a previous uh, published sequence of the original SARS from 2003. So it was really, If anything, it was a test for the genetic material from the original SARS, but they used that in this group of 20-something people with pneumonia and found or thought they found those sequences. And so that was their proof that these people had a new virus in the first place. But it was not from (laughs) this virus, the sequences that they looked at. So in other words, they use sequences from another virus in this group to find evidence for a new virus, but it just actually gave the old virus, Uh, which also, by the way, was false and and only created by a computer. So once they, um, you know, did the usual tissue culture experiments and showed a particle that they said was the virus, they took a sample of lung fluid from one single person who had, again, was positive from this PCR test, which was meaningless. And they took from the lung fluid, that they took out all of the RNA that was there, um, regardless of what source it was from. And it was from lots of sources. There are a lot of things in the lung fluid. And they then sequenced all of the individual pieces of RNA in that lung fluid, but only the short ones because they can only use short ones uh, for the special technology that allows them to do this really fast. And there were over 56 and one half million individual fragments of RNA that were sequenced. And what they did is they put these 56-plus million fragments into a computer, in fact, into two computers because they used two different um, softwares. And those softwares put these little pieces together by overlapping matches. And this created... um, over 3 million longer pieces that were pieced together from the shorter ones and they called those contigs. Now, out of the 3.5 somewhat million um, of these contigs, they picked the longest one and they said this must be close to the genome. And then they ran that through a database and they said it's about 79% similar to a SARS-like bat coronavirus, like from bats. Now, It's really interesting this 79% number of similarity because if you look at humans and chimpanzees, we are about 98% similar in our sequences, okay? But we're very different from chimpanzees, not even the same species, right? Now, according to some sources I found, we're 88% similar to house cats. Now, certainly we're a different genus and species from house cats, right? But they're looking at these two things that are a lower percentage of similarity. And from that, they're reasoning that these are actually not just the same genus, not the same species, but the same subspecies of virus. Okay? So it just doesn't make sense. But what they do then is they say it must be a coronavirus because it's 79% similar to this bat coronavirus so what we'll do is we'll change it to make it look more like this bat coronavirus and they added some things took some things out rearranged some things went back to their original sample did another PCR on the ends and tried to match up more little fragments and in the end they, they said here it is here is the genome of a new virus Okay, but obviously it has nothing to do with reality because they didn't take the genome out of a virus and then sequence it. They took it out of a mess of genetic material from a lot of different organisms and then they simulated some process in the computer which has no validation. There's no way to validate it. Right, unless you go back to the original virus, pull out the genetic material, and then sequence that. So what happened is that they published this, and this became the index sequence. And then a protocol was published that basically give you like step-by-step of how you can sequence the genome of of your variety of SARS-CoV-2. And labs all around the world basically started doing this. And they took a sample from a single patient and they went through this procedure. But this time, when they got to the last step where they templated against uh, a standard, they didn't put it against the bat coronavirus. This time, they put it against that index sequence. And what they found is that every time they did this experiment, and it's been done tens of thousands of times now, they get a slightly different result. And this is because it's not actually a valid result. That They can't repeat the experiment and get the same result because their result is not real. It doesn't represent reality. But it's very convenient that they explain each one as, you know, their word for a mutation is a variant. And then arbitrarily they say that some of these variants uh, have different, you know, properties and how they cause infection. But these studies are done only by looking at PCR tests. So they never even did the so-called virus isolation experiments with any of these variants to show that they would actually exist. They're just doing this based on this theoretical genome sequencing procedure.
1: This is also interesting because, for example, I was having a conversation with a friend who's a, a PhD in chemistry. He works for a pharmaceutical company. When all of this started, to talk about the mRNA vaccine – I was asking him questions. You know, he was explaining how the traditional flu vaccine, for example, it's egg, egg based technology and, you know, it would be almost impossible to mass produce during a, an emergency. But the mRNA, I was asking me, how exactly is this produced? And even though he's getting the shot, he told me it's a blueprint. Basically, it's like inserting A code into your computer. It has nothing to do with a biological preparation that's used with you know the regular egg-based one. So how do we know the type of coding that is being inserted on people?
2: Well that's an excellent question and the answer is we have no idea. In fact we don't even know if it works the way that they say it does. You know if you want to go through the regulatory process for a vaccine, there's a standard set of procedures that you need to go through. And as you described, all prior vaccines were essentially a piece of a germ, right? Now, we can get into more technical details, but really what that's what they are, either some kind of piece of a virus or piece of a bacteria, and that is supposed to be perceived by your body as a foreign substance and your body has an immune response to it that uh, conveys immunity toward the actual germ itself if you would face it in reality, okay? That's how they say that vaccines worked up until now. These gene therapies are totally different. What a gene therapy is, is a way to exploit the... um, kind of operating system, that's the words that Modernity uses, uh, of our bodies. And I want to I want to get into that topic in a little more detail after this. But um, what it supposedly does is it gives the code, which could be in the two forms. It could be in the form of DNA, like is in our nucleus, or it could be in the form of messenger RNA or mRNA, which is, just goes into the... S- into the cytoplasm of the cell and directly is supposed to make proteins there. Now, other gene therapies have been attempted to be developed for quite a long time. In fact, back when I was an undergraduate in the early 90s, I wrote a review paper on gene therapy technology back then and there are some similarities, so so this is not new. But the idea is when you put that gene in the form of DNA or mRNA into the host, it causes the host cells to make that foreign protein. And this is the exact same technology that's used in all the GMO products. Like, for example, Roundup Ready corn, wheat, and soy, what they've done is they've inserted the gene that makes um, a a protein that counteracts the effects of glyphosate or Roundup so that when those plants grow, they express that protein. And then when you douse them with the poison glyphosate, they don't die, okay? So, so essentially gene therapy is to turn, you know, the recipient into a GMO uh, product. And in this case, the, they tell us that the code in this gene is for a spike protein, which we now know is a toxic substance. Now, we don't know exactly where it came from because it's never been, you know, purified out of a virus, uh, but it's once again based on this theoretical gene's genetic sequence. Um, but it is made in GMO organisms um, at various companies and you can buy it uh, on the market like a vial of it that's freeze-dried made in that way. And they basically want to do the same thing to the people who get the vaccine, that they their cells would make the spike protein and then somehow that would... Uh, cause immunity to happen which is less clear but here's the thing if you're going to go through the regulatory pathway with the FDA for a gene therapy you have to do special things like one is you have to show um, if the the product of that gene is actually made in the recipient of the gene therapy so in other words were the did they actually find the the synthetic spike protein in the bodies of the people who received the gene therapy vaccine they also would have to do experiments for shedding because that is talked about in the FDA guidance that they would have to say, is that foreign protein that's made by the foreign gene? Does it is it in the body fluids? Can it be spread to somebody else? Okay, So these weren't even attempted during the, you know, authorization process for the gene therapy vaccines because they were classified as vaccines and not gene therapy. So the truth is we don't even know if they are causing the recipients to make any protein at all. And of course, we don't have verification of exactly what that protein is, if it is made, and we don't know where the sequence that the companies say that they put in these vaccine products actually comes from in nature, or if it's completely made up. um, Because if you look at the patent record, you'll find that it's actually been patented.
1: Well, let's just talk about the definition of a vaccine a vaccine is a biological preparation that provides active acquired immunity to a particular infectious disease a vaccine typically contains an agent that resembles a disease causing microorganism and is often made from weakened or killed forms of the microbe its toxins or one of its surface proteins and it provides immunity against the virus if this is the case how are they calling this gene therapy a vaccine
2: Well, it's quite simple. If you look at many of the dictionaries published, you'll see that they have edited their definition of a vaccine (laughs) to, to now include gene therapy. So, in other words, they've just made it up. And, you know, there are many advantages to this strategy because the reason the technology was able to be put on the market so rapidly is because all of the companies that have put out such a product had the entire platform all ready to go. So in other words, they had the gene delivery system all ready, all they needed was the specific gene sequence. And that came out of the genome study, which I described earlier, and as soon as that was published, and it gets published in a public database on the government website, any, All of these companies could then download it, decide you know where to start it and stop it, and then pop it into their platform. And they could actually have this synthesized and ready to be
1: tested within just a couple of days. I'll say this colloquially. Those who get the Rona, I'm not a doctor, you are. Don't we now have naturally acquired immunity? And is not naturally acquired immunity the best? In fact, knowing the survival rate... Had I not contracted this, I would have preferred to get it than getting jabbed with some unknown experimental substance.
2: Well, Mel, now you're opening up a big rabbit hole here because um, we would have to go into the whole idea of immunity. Now, I know that we have this whole war-like paradigm of germs invading us and our immune system being like this, you know, army fighting them off but I'll tell you that that's not how it really works. Now, if we just want to look at this, you know, if you, if you think you have COVID, I would say, okay, well, how do we tell who has COVID-19 and who doesn't? We can't rely on a test because it's not even been validated, right? It's completely meaningless. It couldn't even qualify for FDA approval without a validation study. So we can't go by any test, now, we there are no unique symptoms, although they keep adding more as they go, but the main symptoms, you know, a cough, fever, shortness of breath, those are common to many, many ailments. So how would we identify who has COVID versus anything else? So once you see that you can't actually identify in any reliable way an individual who has a new illness, then the only conclusion you can come to is that there is no new illness. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. If we want to get into what explained the flu or the same set of symptoms in the past, we can certainly talk about that. But I'll give you a hint. Also, it wasn't a virus.
1: So again, they keep saying those people who have not been vaccinated, you might need a vaccine passport in the future. But if they really follow it, let's say that they believe that this is a virus, And those people who contracted it have naturally acquired immunity based on their science or pseudoscience, depending on where you're looking at. So those people who have the naturally acquired immunity, don't they qualify as being vaccinated?
2: Well, you know, this is, uh, of course, interesting, and there's no end to the contradictions. You know, because all of this is false science, they can essentially just make up the rules as they go, which suit their aims. Now, if you look at the travel requirements for coming into the United States, you'll see that they actually will accept recovery from a prior COVID-19 infection that was documented, but it has to be within a certain amount of time. So it seems like they don't really believe in the immunity, but yet you hear people saying, well, the goal of the vaccine and having more people take it is to achieve herd immunity. Now, how do you have herd immunity but not immunity for individuals? That just doesn't make sense. But what's further is that people also don't believe that the vaccine provides immunity. Because if they did, why would they care about other people getting the vaccine or wearing a mask? Right. Because if they're immune and they can't get sick, then they should have no problem allowing other people to take, uh, you know, what they feel is a risk because it won't affect them.
1: That's just incredible. And we have to take our one and only break. But before the break, I just want to say this. I have a friend who owns a very popular restaurant. I'm not going to name him the restaurant or his location, but effective today. He's only allowing the vaccinated to dine at his restaurant. What surprised me the most was not this stand that he's taken, but the hundreds of comments under his announcement, all praising him, congratulating him, the hurt mentality at its best. Do we see this happening more and more? And, you know, I guess, you know, this is a private industry. They can just refuse service to anyone they want. But the good thing is that we have an option. We don't have to patronize that place if we don't want to. And I think this is where the people and the masses will take a stand and all these people who are claiming I'm only going to allow, you know, airlines to to allow the vaccinated to go or cruise ships, if we all stand up, they're not going to be able to withstand the financial burden that might be coming their way. But Andy, how can people learn more about your work? You've been so active lately. Your bravery is so appreciated. Tell us more, how can people learn more about you and your work?
2: Well, thank you so much, Mel. And really, the best thing to do is to go to my website, which is AndrewKaufmanMD.com. That's one F and one N, and MD like medical doctor. And there, of course, you can learn about everything that I have going on. And please do sign up for my newsletter, because that's how we will keep you informed. But I'm about to launch the True Medicine Library, which is a great repository of a wealth of information and media, and it includes webinars and... And Tom Cowan and I are putting on the True Healing Conference October 9th and 10th in Jacksonville, Florida. We're really excited about the amazing list of speakers. And then we're going to focus on the true healing and uh, true biology. We're not going to just be all doom and gloom uh, virus stories. We're really looking toward the future with that conference.
1: And during part two, maybe we'll discuss certain things that we didn't discuss the last time. It's not about doom and gloom, folks. It's about making you aware of what's there under your nose. And, folks, you are responsible for your own health. My special guest today is Dr. Andrew Kaufman. This is Mel Hostelrek, and you are listening to Veritas.
3: Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material... Proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur flash drives with all our sanitas and veritas seasons and other great products and if you're listening on youtube like subscribe and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available now proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview you don't want to miss it thank you for listening to veritas because you don't want to believe you want to know